Maine at Southside. Welcome to Death Metal. Hey, what's going on? Uh, giant crowd at Maine at Southside. This is uh, Christopher <laughs> Pearson, Buddy Lloyd. What's up? How y'all doing? We're the Death Metal Dicks. That's short for Death Metal Detectives. What we do is we can compare heinous true crimes to death metal songs. And this week we've chosen Devourment, Festering Vomitous Mass, to the crimes of famous serial killer Joseph Callinger, a.k.a. the Shoemaker, appropriate for today, which is Father's Day. He was going to end up killing three victims, including his oldest son, with the help of his second eldest son, because God charged him with the task of killing people with demons inside them. And of course, the main way was to mutilate their genitals as a sacrifice to Satan. Yep, the shoemaker. <laughs> you know, just making shoes out of kids' balls. I like a nice dick loafer, buddy. How about you? Go ahead and give me some of those size 12 kids. Not kids, but kids. <laughs> Joseph Callinger was born in Philadelphia December 11th, 1936. And if you can imagine, the 1930s was a bad time to be a single mom. The mom wanted to keep him, but he was tentatively adopted from a Catholic orphanage at the age of two. The adoption became official when his mom tried to bribe Stephen and Anna Callinger for money to be able to keep Joseph. And that's why we're celebrating Father's Day, not Mother's Day, all right? No. <laughs> At age five, Joseph has his first rough encounter where he's called a faggot by the neighborhood kids. He goes home to ask his adoptive parents, the Callengers, what the word means. So his dad decides to beat him with a leather strap. And then his mom thinks that's not enough and beats him with a wooden spoon. Beating the fag out of him, I guess. <laughs> you can't use that word, son. <laughs> yeah, we can. <laughs> he gets grounded for a week without explanation. At age six, just like Jeffrey Dahmer, Callinger had a hernia in his beans from a girl kicking him right in the dick. Wow. <laughs> Three weeks later, he had to go in for surgery because he couldn't urinate anymore. And after the surgery, his cool parents decided to tease him by saying his bird would never work again. What do you call wiener's birds? I don't know, man, but if I called my piece of bird, it would probably have to be a vulture because it looks gross yeah. and it only eats the dead. <laughs> but you call it a bird, like if you're ugly as fuck, it just flies off your body? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See you, dick. <laughs> Age seven, Joseph steals a book of prayers from his school. His punishment is kneeling on a piece of sandpaper for an hour every night. And the punishment never stops, so it continues all through his youth. Age eight, his mom hits him with a hammer in the head four times because he wants to go to the class trip at the zoo. It's a logical response. Yeah, man. Yeah. You want to go get smart? Let me hit you with a hammer. Hey, Ma, can I go see a orangutan? <laughs> I don't know. How about a orangutan? God. That was the worst thing I've ever said before. <laughs> that's, that's, that's pretty okay. rough. <laughs> Age eight, uh, after Joseph gets that head strike, of course, things start to not tick with his mental capacity. Yeah. Now, anytime he thinks he's doing wrong, instead of being punished, he starts smashing his own head into things. Yeah. As we know from, it, it, you guys probably aren't familiar with our show at all, but we do a lot of serial killers, and a lot of serial killers have some head trauma, which causes them usually to start 
killing people and having weird sexual fetishes with dead bodies and all these other things. And so that's probably what happened to him. Yeah, we bring it up a lot. Uh, generally, sexual fetishes, which include the proclivity to commit murder for like an erotic thrill, all the fetish activity generally occurs when you're in your adolescence from age 7 to 11. Any yeah. traumatic event that happens then could definitely lead you to be attracted to things that the average person wouldn't be. Yeah. You, once you damage your prefrontal cortex, your frontal lobe, it's, it's a lot of people, it's game over. So Right. And it, eight was a rough year for Joseph. The next thing that happened to him this year is that the neighbor kids held him at knife point and performed oral sex on him. Jeez. I didn't have anybody cool in my neighborhood like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, a knife. Oh, all right. <laughs> Age nine, Callinger cuts up all of his classmates' coats because he didn't receive a birthday gift, which I kind of like. He's taking back control of this whole thing. Yeah. You guys are going to shit on me. You know what? Fuck you and fuck your coats. Man. Age 11, Joseph starts taking money from his parents, and he's taking other kids out to the movies, buying them dinner, and just straight giving them cash to be his friends. His parents own a shoemaking business, hence the name The Shoemaker. Yeah. So when they first adopted him, they were already pretty well off, but in this time period, their shoe brand has taken off quite a bit. They're handmade shoes, and they're sold mostly in the neighborhood. They, they've got a good family business that's well-known, and people love his family, even though they're real pieces of shit behind closed doors. The company is called New Balance. <laughs> <laughs> If you see somebody wearing that shit, run. Yeah, they can't. They, if they're white and they, if they got a little bit of like a brown stain, man, you got to go. You got to run. Age 11, his parents catch him stealing, so their punishment is to take his sticky fingers and burn that off on the stove. At this point, he's already so ingrained to making friends by taking kids to the movies and giving them cash. He doesn't stop. The pain's not enough to keep him from trying to be cool, so he ends up getting his fingers burned a total of six more times. Mm. Age 13, Joseph cuts a hole in his wall to masturbate with. <laughs> they really like that. <laughs> Fuck money. <laughs> then he uses nude pictures of men and women both. When he gets bored of the nude pictures of men and women, which I imagine is probably a hot commodity in the late 1930s. There's yeah. not a lot of porn floating around. Nah, I mean, I don't know. But his first indication of the fetish that he's gotten, which of course we could chalk back up to probably being raped at knife point, he has to start holding a knife to get off, and then when that becomes not enough, he starts cutting up pictures of men and women as he masturbates into the wall, mm. which I don't get. A fucking wall can't feel good. I don't know, man. You like it rough? That's hot. <laughs> yeah. That's some hot stuff <laughs> right there. I got ripped up by an IUD one time. Yeah. It was pretty cool until the aftermath, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, man. Yeah, I fucking tried to jack off a sail paper one time. I got one stroke and quit. Why? I was like, I was like five. You know, well, you just fucking do weird shit. You were jerking off at five? Yeah, that explains a lot. <laughs> uh, age thirteen, Joseph goes to summer camp for two weeks. He steals the scope of a rifle from the office at the summer camp there. But you would think he would just yank the whole rifle, but no, he just wanted to see things closer. Hmm. Ten days after he returned from camp, Joseph recounts that he started hearing voices telling him to cut someone. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> You're just home fucking a wall, and all of a sudden, hey, how's that wall feel? Man, pretty fucking good, man. Yeah. I'm going to need you to cut somebody, buddy. So he boards a city bus, knife in tow, 
sees a lone boy, follows him, shows the boy the knife, leads the boy into the woods down by a stream, orders the boy to take his pants off, and as soon as the boy does, Joseph just runs off into the woods, which might be even scarier than having to suck him off. <laughs> you yeah. get all the way to the point and he just runs off crying away from you. <laughs> That's, yeah, I don't know, man. You fucking think it's the end and somebody runs off and you're like, hey, man, I thought we were going to do something cool here. <laughs> yeah, what if you're into it? <laughs> uh, he's going to do this three more times, never harming any of the boys. And then the third time, he reenacts exactly what happened to him, held a boy at the stream knife point and gave the boy oral sex. Hmm. I guess gave is a bad term for kid. And if it's a gift. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to take it. <laughs> That's happened to me with, like, fucking an old CD before. Yeah. I don't want that. You take it. Yeah, I got a dumbass Power Rangers wallet when I was, like, 16 from my aunt. And my, my grandma's like, well, just be humble and take what you get. Humble? Yeah. <laughs> you're not too good for a Power Rangers wallet. Yeah. I guess that's where humility well, came in. Your grandma knew. You're not too good from your friends. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Age 13, uh, Joseph finally gets some purpose in his life. He's cast as the lead role in the high school production of A Christmas Carol. <laughs> Joseph loves the process. He likes learning the lines. He likes going to rehearsals. He likes the camaraderie. And he ends up doing really well in the play. So now he's decided that he wants to be an actor, which he's living close enough to New York City. It's not out of the question that he could probably go on to Broadway if he was actually good at this and make a career out of it. But of course his parents mock him, and this will be the second time in his life he's been called a faggot in his home. Wow. I think that his parents, I mean, obviously they were pieces of shit, but my guess is that they just wanted him to focus on making shoes so they were going to shit on anything positive that he did anyway to make sure he didn't flock away from the family business, which would need to carry on when they got too old to do it, because it's intense physical labor. Yeah, he got in the shoehorn business later on. He's cutting dicks off and using them as shoehorns. Yeah, if you can't fit into a 13, you just cram it in there with a nice dick on the back of the old shoe. It makes a slip and slide into the old <laughs> fit go good. You remember when you had to use a shoehorn to put shoes on to like go to church and shit? I never wore any fancy type of shoes. I used to be, have to wear them to go to church, and I, it wouldn't fit, and it would rip the back of my ankles up, and then they were like, we've got to try the shoehorn out. But You know, like when you go to church, you act out and shit, and you're just like, man, fuck, I know I fucked up because my parents are going to take me to the fucking lubies today because I didn't act good. <laughs> And so if you were bad because you were a fat kid, your parents wouldn't take you to a cafeteria to eat? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Even though I was going to like, Monday, like, Monday you're going to go to school cafeteria. Yeah, yeah, it's not the same as a delicious no. Luby's. You guys got Luby's in Texas? Yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. Someone's stoked. Like, macaroni. <laughs> Some liver and onions with gravy? Ugh. You don't like liver. You're full of shit. <laughs> We've been arguing all week. He says that he eats beef liver. I absolutely do not believe it. I fucking love it, man. No, you don't. <laughs> I use it like he uses a wallet. <laughs> so at age 14, Joseph meets his first girlfriend. They met at the movies. Her name was Hilda. After the relationship went on for three or four months, his parents decided to tell Joseph that he was not allowed to see her. And there was no base for it. Nothing had happened between them. His schoolwork didn't fall off. No good reason whatsoever at all. Again, uh, I think there's some type of complex that's happened in the Callinger home where they know that their business is going to be passed down to Joseph. He's already helping them out in the shop, working up front, carrying shoes back and forth, carrying heavy stuff for his dad. They probably just don't want to lose him around the house, but at the same time, doing terrible shit to him is not going to help him stay in the home. No. And, of course, nothing makes a 15-year-old kid hornier than being forbidden to do something. So Joseph and Hilda start boning. 
And they're age 15, which sounds gross in today's terms, but in like the early 1940s, that's pretty much 35, right? Yeah. Joseph was working at his parents' shoemaking company when he is told by God that he is on a mission to save people through healing their feet. Just like Michael Jordan and Dr. Scholes, he begins doing experiments. Oh, God, man. Go ahead. Man, just suck it. Suck at a foot. That's all you got to do. That's how you heal people. You suck their feet. And it, yeah, he's just like a leech on the bottom of him. Yeah, but you know, clean those old boys up and suck them. You ever been in a sucking feet? Man, I'll do it every once in a while, but it's not my thing. I don't get the allure of it. I don't either. A pinky toe? It's kind of weird. It's like a real soft jawbreaker. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, and the experiments he's doing with feet, we don't have an exact description. And it really makes me wonder because he says that he did these experiments in the shop over 40,000 times from 1951 to 1972. What do you think it was? Uh, that sounds like a math equation neither one of us can <laughs> fucking solve. He probably just touches the foot and then fucks the wall a different way. He, like, fucking stacks the big toe and the other toe, the index toe, I guess is what you would call it. Yeah. Puts a wall out there and fucking fucks both at <laughs> the same time. We got a special instrument. Just attach your feet to the wall, and we'll see what the perfect size is for your foot. This is called the Kentucky Bank. This is exactly why we invented Amazon. No fucking freak is going to be feeling your feet up because you need new shoes. Unless they come in your shoes before they ship them. <laughs> You're still out of the equation. I would worry whether some jerk jack off in my footwear than touch my feet in public. Not me, man. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Fucking open up a business called Foot Cocker. <laughs> At 15, Joseph gets his own apartment with the nice shoe money that he's making. Gets into some real man shit like playing poker, drinking a lot, playing pool, and he's steadily dicking down young Hilda. Age 17, he drops out of school to make shoes full-time, and he marries Hilda. 19, him and Hilda have their first child. That's what happens when you're going in raw. Kids come out. Happy Father's Day. Age 20, Hilda leaves him for another man. That has got to be a big knife oral sex equation into the heart of Joseph Callinger. You have a mental breakdown, you find new ways to come. Yeah. He is hospitalized with suspected brain lesions, which again, it's the 1940s, so I just assume anytime you say your brain feels weird, they go for the worst thing of all time. What happened, Joseph? Oh, my wife left me, and it feels like the, my brain's eating itself alive, and God's in there telling me to cut somebody. God, why don't you stay here for a while, Joseph? We'll take uh, good care of you, bud. You should just open up a goddamn church. Yeah. And you fucking get so much money from being crazy, and then... Church of Feet. Man, if he's man, if he's like Benny Hinnon it, but with feet, like just sucking toes and shit, like you're healed now. Yeah, that's the healing power. Exactly. exactly you get, yeah. you have the huge conferences. You bring them up on stage, but instead <laughs> of smacking them with your sweater, just lick their foot. Get out there and be somebody. <laughs> and uh, once he goes in for this, he's hospitalized immediately, and then they have to test him for weeks, and it turns out it's only a psychological nervous disorder. You know, a nervous breakdown from his only love. Cheating on him and leaving him. Doesn't take him long, though. A year later, he marries a new wife. Six weeks later, after he takes this new bride, he decides to set his own house on fire. 
for fun. Unbeknownst to him, he got a sweet insurance payout coming, which opens his eyes to the delightful task of insurance fraud from here out. Man, fucking that wallet really paid off. <laughs> he b- lost his wife, and he burned down the only wall he's ever fucked. Wow. This is a hurting. Man. Insurance company paid out $1,600, which I looked, and in today's money is $50,000. Love it or leave it, and then if you leave it, it'll pay you back. And the good news is you can build another wall. Age 23, he has his second child, and then he's committed to the state hospital for attempted suicide shortly after. That's a good home. Age 25 to 29, he has three more fucking kids, which makes five in total. 29, who would, you, who would let this man come into them? Uh, if I showed you a picture, you would change your mind. He's pretty good looking. Yeah, he's an all right looking guy. He did get the lead in A Christmas Carol. They heard that. Yeah. He's got great <laughs> teeth. Yeah, beautiful man. I mean, after he burned his house down, he got them all fixed. They fucking look good. He's like a Tom Cruise, but like, like more beefier lips, you know? Oh, man, that's old Tom Shoes. You're right. <laughs> Uh, age 29, right after he had his fifth kid, he sets his house on fire again. Insurance money, build a new wall to fuck. Another year goes by, they have another kid, sets his fucking house on fire again. Man, you could... could get away with anything you want to before there was cameras and the internet. I don't see how people ever got caught doing any fucking crime. How could you burn your house down three times and still, hey, shit happens. Man, remember that time we fucking... Uh... You guys trolled me into thinking I had herpes, and we were also in a hotel room, and you front flipped on the bed and went through the wall, and then we just went and stole a bunch of shit from below so you could patch it, but it had an old fucking weird wet lung wall thing going on. Yeah. Same thing. You could fuck that wall for sure. Yeah, yeah. You said a lot of things really fast, so I'll slow it down for the audience. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. We were in Chicago one time, and Buddy was in a sour mood because he had had relations with one of our friend's friends. Not a great friend of ours because he knew that the female friend had herpes, was the word. And then after Buddy had relations with the female friend, decided to tell Buddy when Buddy was blind drunk that he probably has herpes. Which Buddy's response, the first words he said were, God, I'm never going to be able to fuck again. (laughs) (laughs) And then we were getting drunk, and yeah, I did a front flip off the bed, kicked a wall open, and here's a hot tip for you guys. (laughs) If you ever are in a hotel room and you do damage to a wall, go to Lowe's, You don't live in the town, right? So you can steal whatever you want to. They're not going to find you the next day. You spackle the wall up. All the drywall dust on the floor, you go to your nearest donut shop, bunch of powdered donuts, throw them all over the place, and they'll never know anything. And unfortunately, that's a true story. (laughs) Yeah, we're terrible people. (laughs) Uh, 36, a five-year gap between events. His oldest daughter runs away. And as punishment for her running away... Joseph decides to brand her like she's a cow to identify her as their daughter in case she runs away again. Real smart move, guy. <laughs> right after that, three of his children go to a police station and report him for child abuse. Both parents, mom, rides with Joseph, says the kids are just runaways and deny abuse charges. Callinger receives a psychological evaluation and they determine him capable of standing trial where he's found guilty and sentenced to four years of probation with mandatory psychiatric treatment. 
They show up, they interview him and shit to see if they're being mistreated, and he's cattle prodding them. He's like, no, nah, man, they're treated well here. <laughs> yeah, it's no problem. I got a bag of feed, I feed them, you know, they're fucking good. Yeah, and this psychological treatment did no fucking good because by age 38, Joseph is constantly hallucinating. He begins having conversations with God and Charlie, who's actually a floating disembodied head. Same year, his son Joseph had to go to a reformatory where he was diagnosed as seriously disturbed. Like, All right, Dr. New Metal. <laughs> God, What's dude. wrong with my kid? He's seriously disturbed. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joseph Callinger tells his second oldest son, Michael, about orders that came directly from God. God told Joseph that they are to begin murdering young boys and remove the demons from them. The way to remove the demons, of course, is by severing the kids' genitals. Imagine that chat with God. Hey, God, you know I pray to you every night, brother. I'm just uh, hoping for a miracle here. Joseph, I got you tonight, man. You're going to change the whole world, buddy. Here's what I got for you. You're going to grab these kids, right? Okay, been doing that. I like that. Then you're going to cut their genitals off. You sure, God? Yeah, absolutely, Joseph. I'm God. Have I ever been wrong? I don't think so. Okay, read the Bible. Cut a dick off for me, okay, pal? You fucking cut the balls off? Are they supposed to, like, shang sung them, like Mortal Kombat style, where the fucking demon comes out of the fucking womb? I think something like that. You guys ever seen the movie Frailty before? It's based on this guy. Uh, so he asks Michael to help him, his 13-year-old son. Michael agrees enthusiastically. You know that your father-son relationship is fucked when you want to hang out with dad so bad, you're just gleefully committing yourself to murdering youth and cutting their balls off? I would have done anything to have my dad around. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they commit their first father-son murder of 10-year-old Jose Colazzo. He's a Puerto Rican youth. And they kill him by way of torturing him and severing his genitals off while he's still alive. God damn. The day after that, Joseph takes out a 45000 life insurance policy on Joey, who is seriously disturbed, and Michael, who is the son helping him out, then murders Joey with his son, age 13. This is a weak span from the time he got the life insurance policy. We're not dealing with a fucking rocket scientist. This is why people end up making shoes, you know? Yeah. He reports Joey missing. Joey's found dead at a construction site under a light pile of rubble. The cause of death can't be determined, so the insurance company can't pay out anything until they know how he died, at which point Joseph tells the insurance company that him and Michael drowned his son Joey. And the insurance company says, yeah, you know, you can't kill your fucking kid and get paid for it. It's not like the house you burned down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a shoe cobbler, and then you're out here making fucking cobblers out of dicks. Yeah, and it, it's interesting <laughs> to know this entire time, Joseph is running a very successful shoe company. New Balance. Yeah, that's the evolution of it, absolutely. <laughs> Joseph and Michael... Next move is to break into a home in Linwood, New Jersey. No one is there. So 30 minutes later, they break into another home where Joseph sexually abuses a grown woman, not on the agenda from God. No. Forces Michael to watch. And just like religious leaders before him, you can always curtail 
were your religious beliefs to what you want to happen in this situation. So Michael's like, there's no kids here, Dad. And he's like, well, see, son, God definitely wants me to come in something, okay? So we're going to do it like this. We're going to cut off her clit and make a shrimp cocktail. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Great. (laughs) Uh, Then Joseph and Michael strike again just two weeks later where they kidnap four women during a bridge game in Susquehanna Township, Pennsylvania. In the bridge game, they stole $20,000 worth of valuables and cash, which in today's money is $300,000. What the fuck is a bridge game, and how do we get involved? <laughs> I don't know. some old lady gambling? I don't know, man. It's like Pinochle. What the fuck is Pinochle? I don't know. <laughs> oh, God. Let's fucking find a bingo tournament tonight. No shit. Yeah, where's the fucking happening bridge bingo and... Old, where's the old lady games at, Fort Worth? We're trying to get paid. Nursing homes? Yeah. You can definitely fuck They're not there. letting us <laughs> in. No, probably not. <laughs> uh, as they take the eight... Sorry. Next crime. They force their way into a house in Leone, New Jersey, armed with knives and guns. They take eight hostages, just the two of them. They tie them up with electrical cords cut from the appliances in the house. What that says to me is that they're running off only crazy bullshit. Because if you plan a crime out, you know, okay, we have X amount of people, we're going to accost them. In order to successfully do so, we're going to need some rope, some weapons, a mask to cover our face. There's things that you do as a successful murderer to cover your tracks. Unless you're on full crazy shit, like a severed head named Charlie is telling you to go fuck somebody in a giant bingo tournament, then you run in willy-nilly and cut the cords off toasters and tie them up with that. Too bad meth went around. Oh, yeah. I think it was, because that was an invention of uh, Nazi Germany. So that that had happened. But I doubt the Americans had their hands on sweet, sweet meth by this point. They probably could have kidnapped 36 people with meth. For sure. I mean, if they could and do fix eight... all their fucking cars. <laughs> what if you just tied them up and straightened their feet out? <laughs> it's like, we're going to kidnap you and kill you, but we're also going to fix your fucking cars. I've never been a mechanic before, but this motherfucker's going to run. Your house is dirty too. Michael, take care of that. All right. <laughs> meth! <laughs> all eight hostages start struggling, of course, so they start trying to kill them one by one. They take 21-year-old Maria Fashing in the basement. While they have her down there, she almost gets loose, and Joseph steps behind her and slits her throat. In the struggle, one of the hostages imagines, uh, imagines, happens to escape, enables himself to get the fuck out of the house, runs next door to a neighbor's house, calls police. They notice immediately that one of the hostages is gone, so they get the hell out of there, so they survived that day, but now they just left a house with seven witnesses, a fresh murder with a trail that basically leads right to them. And Joseph, being the genius that he is, takes his blood-soaked clothes. Now, keep in mind, he's got a ton of money, right? Let's say tonight, this lovely table of people decides they're sick of our shit and stabs us in the parking lot. I'm ready. If you have a job, or even if you don't have a job, you can just lose the clothes for good. You don't need to keep them. This guy is rich in this era's terms, and he keeps the clothes and takes just the blood-soaked clothes to a dry cleaner. 
Man, it's pretty bad whenever a fucking Phoebe can get away with being a Phoebe in a Phoebe society. <laughs> okay, <laughs> what a great point. <laughs> so they pick up the Bluntstead shirt because they called it in like, hey, this guy's clothes are soaked in blood. The word was out that there had been these terrible crimes in the area. I mean, especially, we're talking in like almost 1950 now. There's no internet, no television. Any type of news that happens in a small town is the biggest event of all time. So everyone shook up about the murders. Word is out. Dry cleaner sees the blood, calls police. Police come and collect the blood, which I don't know if they, they didn't have DNA testing then, but they decide that it's close enough to the time frame that they can go ahead and arrest Joseph Callinger. And at the time, they know that he's got one of his sons helping him because of the hostages in the house described him. They arrest Joseph and Michael and his other son, James, and then had to have the hostages ID Michael and Joseph. So uh, James was set free. Joseph and Michael were jailed. Now, Michael was a minor, obviously. So when a minor gets into the legal system, even as far back as this, no details are available ever. No. So not sure what happened to him. I would think that he should be able to reasonably say that his batshit dad forced him into doing it. Yeah. But who knows? He did get jailed. And it was a different time, too. You know, uh, it's important to say that even though he had been psychologically evaluated before and after he got evaluated here, I'm sorry, arrested here, they were going to evaluate him to see if he was competent to go on trial. So when they do this, they decide he is totally competent. He'd never been diagnosed with a mental illness. He only had gone to the hospital that one time with the brain lesions, and they said that that was a nervous mental disorder. So this is a guy who's clearly schizophrenic. Yeah. Clearly paranoid, paranoid schizophrenic, schizophrenic because yeah. he's having visual and auditory hallucinations pretty much full time. And we're not that far medically in society. Also, in the 50s, no one really gives a shit, you know? Oh, you're crazy. Well, suck it up and don't kill people, asshole. Now, when he goes on trial, because he's competent, his entire defense, you know, they still had guilty by reason of insanity. So best case scenario, you get committed to a mental institution instead of going to jail. They have to release you at some point, so you're better off with that. So they put him on the stand, and he tells the entire courtroom that God controlled him. He's the son of God who physically exists as a butterfly. Hmm. Now, when he says he exists as a butterfly and is cross-examined by the prosecution, they ask him to elaborate on this. And he says, well, you see me right now. And the jurors go, come, my lady, come, come, my lady, be my butterfly, <laughs> sugar, baby. <laughs> oh, God. It's like, they're like, well, yeah, look at me. I look like a fucking Lisa Frank folder. <laughs> We are packing new metal references into this one. Yeah, we are. Unwarranted. You are. Yeah, that's true. It is me. <laughs> uh, as the trial went on, the jury would recant that Callinger was acting super dramatic. He would have freakouts. He would yell. He would drool on himself. He would put his head on the table, bang his head on the table, which, remember, he was doing that after his mom hit him in the head. So yeah. the jury just saw it as him putting on a show for the jury. Clearly, this guy is deeply mentally troubled. doesn't excuse what he did, but they're not looking at it the right way. He's not acting out. He's just fucking certified nanners. He's trying to fucking karate tournament the table and just, like, yeah. cut it in half of his head and <clears throat> shit. <laughs> Breaking blocks. I mean, if that guy can't do it, karate for sure is not real. Yeah. So, 
Uh, the first charge was the first murder that they committed. He ends up getting four years for that, which, what the fuck? But they know during that four years they're going to try him again. So same thing. This time he's been in prison for a year when he goes on trial for the hostage situation. So now he's being charged with eight counts of kidnapping, one count of murder, all the charges that go along with that. He's acting out the whole time. Jurors thought the same thing. Well, this guy's clearly putting on a show. He's acting the exact same way. They give him no psychiatric evaluations for the second trial, and he receives life in prison, which is good. I got no problem with it. Yeah. First year in prison. He's now 41 years old. He sets himself on fire in his prison cell. <laughs> they put him out. They are able to save him. Three weeks later, he assaults an inmate and burns down an entire fucking cell block of this prison. Holy shit. <laughs> uh, the next year, he moves to a hospital for the criminally insane because of these actions. Immediately tries to kill another prisoner. They put him in solitary confinement. One day when they let him out for medical checkups, he sprints out, has a piece of metal with him, stabs another convict in the throat, completely unprovoked. The victim survives, and that is when they put him in solitary confinement which is where he'll spend the rest of his life. Now, if you go home and look up Joseph Callinger, you'll see that they, a lot of interviews with this guy. He was one of those bizarre cases that people in the 80s era where they were doing the sensationalized type of talk shows, Geraldo Rivera, yeah. uh, Ricky Lake, that type of shit, would go and have their candid interviews of prisoners. Callinger popped up there on a lot, and he was a good interview because he still stuck to the butterfly thing, he had now evolved, they would ask him if he would kill again, and he said, yes, he's going to kill everyone on earth and then kill himself and then himself become God. Uh, it's logical. <laughs> fuck. Yeah, it makes sense to me. So he's in solitary confinement. He's going to survive there for five more years. He mysteriously dies after a seizure at the age of 59. Mysteriously dies, huh? Just... Yeah, I got a feeling that they hit that boy with a little drug because they were tired of his crazy bullshit. Or his mom hit him with that goddamn hammer. <laughs> yeah, he finally caught up to him. He lasted longer than he was supposed of... to. Hell yeah, well that wraps it up for old Joseph Callinger. What a fucking kook, huh? Yeah, he was wild. <laughs>